we read this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered in the same things that our own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all of mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that you are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it came to pass, and just as you know. For this reason... When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn of your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and your love. Let's continue in worship. Uh, Chapter 2, I asked you for some help this week. Uh, Needed just a little bit of a head start in my sermon this week. So I asked you, what is something that in the middle of doing you looked and said, Boy, that was harder than I thought it was going to be. Something that you thought, I can do this, it's no big deal. And then all of a sudden, when you're in the middle of it, it's like, this is a little bit more complicated than I thought. And I got tons of answers. You all are struggling. I mean, I'm just to be honest with you. Uh, You all are struggling. But here are some of the answers uh, that I got. Uh, The first one was uh, picking fruit. Uh, picking ripe fruit at the grocery store. They all look alike, but some of those uh, fruits are just absolutely perfect, the, the exact moment, peak of perfection, and others, oh, they're not good at all, and they don't tell you that's on the inside. You can't tell. Uh, somebody else said doing a cartwheel. When you're 40 years old, it, it gets increasingly uh, more difficult. Uh, I think somebody else said uh, backing up a trailer. Now, somebody said, well, that's not hard at all. Yeah, you're the reason that other people think that it's easy to do. They watch you do it, and like, oh, that's a piece of cake, and then they try it themselves. It's not quite uh, as easy. Uh, furniture that comes in a box. I think sometimes it would be easier if I cut down the tree myself, went to the uh, cut the boards down and built the whole thing myself rather than trying to put together the A and the 6 and the 4 and the, all of those kinds of things. It's like an algebra problem. I, that, that thing is a, those things are really tough. Uh, the next one here uh, is, oh, everything on Pinterest. That kind of drew a pretty big circle, uh, but I think that was true. Uh, I think my favorite one was catching a chicken. I assume that to be true. Uh, now, I find that if you wait till they're frozen, 
it's a whole lot easier to catch. I was trying to think of this in my own life, uh, something that I thought like, oh, that'll be a piece of cake. But then when I found out it was a little bit harder than I thought it was. When I was in high school, what I wanted to do when I grew up was I wanted to be a sports, account, sports announcer. Uh, that's what I, I wanted to do. And uh, so any opportunity that I could come to get closer to that, I, I wanted to sign up for. And so at my high school, uh, we had students that were the PA announcers for basketball. And so I had waited for my turn. It was my senior year. It was time for me to do it. I couldn't wait uh, to do this. And the first time that I did it, I said, you know what? I'm going to step it up a notch. And I'm not just going to announce the starting lineup. And I'm not just going to announce the, the made baskets. I'm going to announce every single pass that is made, every single play that is made. Yeah, the visiting coach about pulled the team off the floor and said, if he doesn't stop that, we're not doing this anymore. Uh, but that wasn't the biggest mistake that I made in that. Being, you know, a high schooler, I wasn't always paying attention to details. And so one of the big things that I did is I announced the starting five players. And uh, it was a pretty stable team, so the starting lineup was the same just about every single night. So I went out and I announced the starting lineup. Well, the coach had changed the lineup that day. And so I got done announcing the five players that normally started, and he still had another starter that he wanted to put in there. So now I'm stuck. We've got to get this other guy into the starting lineup. And I said, oh, also this guy. And so now our team has six players, and your team only has five players, uh, which didn't seem fair. But we worked it out. But it just seemed like that was, should have been so simple. But then when you get doing it and the lights come on, sometimes it's hard. The reason that I bring that up is because I think sometimes we can discover that our faith is a little bit more difficult than we thought it was going to be. That living out for Christ is a little bit more challenging than we thought that it was going to be. When we were told, listen, if you just ask Jesus to be in charge of your life and to forgive your sins, man, you are going to be blessed and it's going to be great and everything's going to be fantastic. The Red Sea won't always part in front of you, but sometimes it might. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. And then the reality is that we begin to live out our faith and we discover that sometimes it is more difficult than we expected. Sometimes there is more pushback than we were expecting to do that. Paul speaks about that here in this passage of Scripture. Now he starts again with this celebration of what God has done in the church in Thessalonica. One of the things he says, we give thanks because of the way that you responded to the Word of God. And he says, and I love the fact that you understand that you were responding to the word of God, not to the word of men. It wasn't what we were saying. It was the authority of God. It was the hope of God. It was the glory of God that you heard. And so you paid attention to it like it was God speaking. And that was fantastic. And then he says, and you became imitators. Now, that's the second time that he's used this concept of being an imitator. We saw back in chapter 1 that he talks about you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And the fact that we find models in our life, that we, we grow as disciples by seeing people live it out in their life. And we become imitators of people like that. Now, in this case, Paul says, and your church became imitators of the church in Judea. Now understand that the church in Judea is a pretty big deal. When he says the church in Judea, he is talking about the Jerusalem church. He is talking about the original church. He is talking about the church that the disciples were part of. That first church there in, in, in Jerusalem that, that, that Pentecost happened. I mean, this is it. This is the church. Man, what a compliment 
that Paul could be playing, giving to this church. You are imitators of the church in Judea. Boy, that sounds so great. But it's kind of like, I imagine, if we had a church softball game, and somebody looked at me after the church softball game and says, Pastor, you look like Babe Ruth out there. Really? Thanks. I, I like that. Babe Ruth, I mean, the greatest of all ball players. You look just like Babe Ruth out there. Yeah? Yeah, you, you, you look like you're getting old and could lose some weight. Okay, that's not exactly what I had in mind when you said you look like Babe Ruth. And in this passage of Scripture, Paul says, you are imitating the church in Judea, that first church, that mother church of all churches. You are just like them. And the church in Thessalonica is like, really? You, you, you really like the way that we worship. You really like our small group structure. You really like that. And what he says is, you are imitating the church in Judea in that you are experiencing the same kind of spiritual opposition that the church in Judea is experienced. He says what you have in common with them is that you are dealing with spiritual opposition and pushback and friction and distress in your spiritual life. Now remember, this is the church that Paul went to. He went straight from Philippi where he had been beaten and arrested and imprisoned and finally released. This is the church that he came to in the city of Thessalonica where he went to the Jewish synagogue and for three weeks taught in the Jewish synagogue and then he was kicked out. This is the city where when they got so upset with what Paul was doing outside of the synagogue, they couldn't find Paul. So they grabbed a guy named Jason who had hung out with Paul a couple times and they dragged him through the streets, put him on trial and made a big deal of about him. This is the place that it was determined very quickly that it was not safe for Paul to stay in this city and out he goes in the middle of the night leaving this brand new church alone in a city. A city that the only thing that they had in common is that they did not like these new Christians. This living for Jesus, this life of faith suddenly feels a little bit more difficult than it looked like when they started. Is this really the way that it's going to be? What is it that we should expect in terms of our faith? Now, I think that this is a super relevant passage of Scripture for us to look at this morning, particularly as we recognize and focus on our graduates. As we think about them being launched out into the world and say, you are ready for the next stage of being a grown-up and an independent person, and you are heading into the larger world. What is it that they can expect to find when we're out there? What is it that they're going to see and experience? What is it going to be like for them to live out their faith when they're out there? Here's the good news. Here's the good news for our graduates, and here is the good news for you and I. Our faith is fully rated, fully tested for real-world friction. Our faith is fully tested, fully rated for real-world friction. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to hear your voice more than anything else this morning. Lord, we want to be able to see the pieces of our life be touched by your spirit and your word, your wisdom, and your calling upon our lives. 
Lord, you have an agenda for each person who's here this morning. Lord, I pray that nothing would get in the way of what you want to do. We pray this in your name. Amen. What can we expect out there? The truth is that we have to say that spiritual opposition is guaranteed. Spiritual opposition is guaranteed. Now, the truth is, my first draft of this sermon was spiritual opposition is very likely. But I'm like, man, I don't, I don't think that captures it. I think the reality is, is that spiritual opposition is guaranteed. Now, it is possible to miss out on spiritual opposition. Here are the two steps to miss out on spiritual opposition. One, don't live out your faith. If you don't want to have spiritual opposition, listen, just kind of release and let go and, and, and step back from your faith and don't live out your faith. The other piece that you can take in terms of a, avoiding spiritual opposition is if you stay locked up inside of your room and never leave your room. I don't even want to say your house because who knows what's in your house. But if you just never interact with another soul, another being, well, then maybe you can avoid spiritual opposition. But the reality is, is that God calls us to live out our faith, and he calls us to live out our faith in public. So those are not options that are there for us. So we are going to face spiritual opposition. Now, I don't know whether you heard this phrase or not, but the first service hadn't. I don't know what to do about that. But they talk about the fact that Eskimos have 111 words for snow. It's so prevalent. It's, it's there all of the time. There's such precision in the different types of snow, and they deal with that. I don't know whether that's true. I have one word for snow. It's called cold. Um, but for Paul, he doesn't have all of these words for snow. But I want you to notice that in these first two and a half chapters of 1 Thessalonians, he has seven different words for spiritual opposition. He talks about shameful treatment. He talks about affliction. He talks about being hindered. He talks about conflict. He talks about suffering. He talks about distress. And he talks about opposition. One of the things that he says to the church here that he's so concerned about and he loves so deeply, he says, we've been worried about you. We were wondering whether you're holding up because we know how tough the environment was when we left and we left you there alone. And our hearts are in our throats wondering, are you okay? He says, now, of course, now, we, we, we told you that this was coming. Hey, in fact, we, we told you that this is what you were destined to experience. Now, usually when we talk about that's my destiny, when we talk about, well, I'm destined for this, well, we always have bright, shiny things that we're destined for. But Paul says, listen, church in Thessalonica, I told you that part of your destiny was that you were going to face spiritual opposition. He says, I've warned you about this from the beginning. Now, just to take a quick time out here, why is it that we face spiritual opposition? Why, why does that happen? Why, what is it about the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus that creates difficulty and hardship for my life? It, it, it is illogical on some level. If I follow Jesus, then everything should kind of fall into place. People should like me more if I follow Jesus. So why is there hardship that we face? I think that one of the things is that when you follow Jesus and you have Jesus at the center of your life, then you have a different purpose than anyone else has. 
You have identified something completely different as said, this is the most important thing inside of my life. So that puts us a little bit out of sync with the world. When you have one thing that says this matters most, and you don't share that this matters most with the people who are not in Christ. I would tell you that sometimes we underestimate the impact of what Jesus calls on our lives. He says, listen, this is the way that I want you to live. I want you to live with the first being last and the last being first. Well, that's not the way our world thinks, isn't it? First is, is what we're always supposed to ch chase after. We're supposed to push people out of the way to make sure that they're second and we're first. He, he talks about laying down your life. He talks about forgiving somebody, not once, not twice, not six times, not seven times, but seven times 70. And basically he says, as long as you're counting, you're not forgiving. We, we live in a world that says, listen, you remember the things that people have done to you. You keep a list and you stay wary of those people for the rest of your life. Jesus is giving us a completely upside down, different way to live. That puts us out of sync with the world sometimes. I would also tell you that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves in the middle of spiritual warfare that is much bigger than ourselves and surrounding us and we have found ourselves in the middle of a war between God of the universe and the forces of darkness and every once in a while we will feel what it likes to be what it's like to be on that battlefield in fact in this passage alone Paul says listen I want to get back and visit with you in Thessalonica I, I want to see how you're doing I want to check on you it says but Satan has hindered us Sometimes that hindrance is direct. Other times it seeps into the culture. It seeps into people. It seeps into the people who are closest to it. It seeps into power structures that are around us. But we find ourselves involved in a battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. And so because of that, there is spiritual opposition that surrounds us all of the time. Paul says there are seven different ways <laughs> that we can describe this persecution. But he doesn't just describe it in terms of how much opposition we face, but he begins to talk about the variety of that opposition. I think that those seven different words that he uses here describe that it's not all of the same. And so I want to think just for a few minutes about some of the spiritual opposition that, that you may have faced last week. Maybe some of the spiritual opposition that may be coming in your direction in the next month. Uh, one level of spiritual opposition is what I would just call awkwardness. Social, interpersonal awkwardness. Because you have a different center to your life than what someone else has, sometimes it just creates some awkwardness. But we go back here to the first century to the church there in Thessalonica, and one of the places, you know who really knew how to throw a good time? You know where you really went to kind of kick back and relax? The pagan temple that was designed for the worship of these pagan gods, but they also just knew that it was a great place to gather. It was a great place to eat. It was a great place to drink. It was a great place just to kick back and relax. And so I think there was a lot of times where people said, hey, after work, we're all going over to the temple. You should come hang out with us. Well, 
if that's the temple to a false god, and you have given your life to Jesus, man, that is not the place for you to hang out anymore. And so there's a difficulty there that this place is just a natural place that everybody just kind of hangs out. It's not for you because your life has been given in a different direction. And so there's an awkwardness at 5.15. says, hey, you're coming? Yeah, I don't think I can make that. They had the best parties at the temple. They also had, because of all their sacrifices, the best meat because the, the, the false god wasn't ever going to eat the meat. You could present the meat all the time, and a fake god's not going to have a real meal. That, that, that's part of what happens. And so if you needed meat, that was the place to go. And so in the church in Corinth about this same time, Paul is answering some questions. They're like, what do we do if, if so we go to somebody's house and the meat has been sacrificed to, to an idol? We, we, we kind of know that. Paul kind of has a policy that says, don't ask, don't tell. He says, don't ask where the meat came from. Don't, don't go looking for the label. Don't, don't, don't go see where it is. And as long as nobody says anything about the meat, he says, enjoy the meat. Enjoy the, the rib roast or whatever it is that you're having. Have a great time. He says, but if someone stands up and says... This meat is extra special because it was sacrificed at the temple. And we're so grateful to have this meat that's been part of that worship service. And Paul says, you know what? It's a good day to be vegetarian that day. He says, you need to sit it out. If they have announced to you that this is sacrificed to an idol, then, then you got to sit that out. Now, that's just building up some awkwardness. You're not trying to be rude. You're not trying to be difficult. But the thing that everyone else finds normal, you just kind of have to be one step a little bit out of sync with where everybody else. There's awkwardness. And the truth is, some of that just builds up on our lives. We want to just be able to go through life and do normal and just kind of blend in. But that kind of wears us out. So one level is just awkwardness. Another level is is just a little step more intense, it's, I would just call it unpopular. And I don't mean that everybody hates you or anything like that, or it's high school all over again. I, I just mean that, that there are some decisions, there are going to be commitments, there are going to be some reactions that you have that are just kind of unpopular. Again, it may be on a, on a business trip that there are certain behaviors, activities, and things that everybody does when they're out on a business trip that you're going to just have to say, pass. It might be some ways in which people have a night out on the town and you just kind of have to say, pass. You're not being hyper judgmental of them, but you said, that's not for me. But all of a sudden, when you become the voice that says, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm going to sit that out. I'm not going to participate in that. Then all of a sudden, it just puts you out of sync in that room. It becomes less popular. You become a voice that, that maybe some people don't really feel like hanging around and, and, and you're less popular than you used to be. It's part of the spiritual opposition that we face. Sometimes it can get a little bit more intense than that. It's not just awkward. It's not just unpopular. But sometimes the spiritual opposition that we face is unfair. You see, again, in the first century, a lot of the people that would have been in this church there in Thessalonica, they would have belonged to a trade guild. Whatever it was that their business was, whatever their work was, it was kind of like a union. They, they belonged to that. But these trade guilds were often connected to the pagan 
temple and a different trade guild would be connected to this God and to this God and to this, this trade guild and all of that stuff. And, and they didn't ask for a whole lot, but just every once in a while, you had to go to the temple with the rest of the members of the guild and you had to participate in this pagan sacrifice. Well, all of a sudden, you as a believer in Christ, you, you cannot offer sacrifices to a false God. You cannot be part of worship to a false God. So you sit that out. Well, if you sit that out, then you can't be a member of the guild. And if you're not a member of the guild, then you can't be part of this industry, and you can't have your table in the marketplace, and you cannot continue to make a living the way that maybe your family's been making a living for six generations. Now, that's unfair. But that's what happened to many believers in the first century. There's a reality here that Maybe it's not an official guild, but there are times and places that there are just the way things are done in your business or in your workplace. That if you didn't behave in some of those business trip behaviors or those nights out on the town, or if you took these shortcuts, these ethical shortcuts on expense reports, or if you did all of these things, then you might be able to get some business that you're losing because you won't make those commitments. It may be that you miss out on some promotions or some connections or some job hires because you're just a little bit out of sync with the rest of the world. That's unfair. But I have to believe in this size of a room, some of you, have experienced some unfairness because of your faith, because you wouldn't take a shortcut, because you wouldn't mimic a certain behavior. It's cost you. Spiritual opposition is guaranteed. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's unpopular. Sometimes it's unfair. And sometimes, sometimes it's, it's dramatic. Now, I have a feeling that most of us have been awkward <laughs> or been in an awkward situation. We, we've been unpopular sometimes, and sometimes we've been treated unfairly. But what Paul dealt with is that because of his relationship to Christ, he was imprisoned. And he was beaten. And eventually he would be executed. And the reality is that there are men and women around the world today that are in prison because of their faith. They have been beaten because of their faith. And in this calendar year, hundreds have been executed because of their commitment to Christ. Spiritual opposition is guaranteed. Now we don't get to choose what our level of spiritual opposition is. You and I live in one of the freest countries in the entire world. The likelihood that this week that you will be in prison for your faith is quite unlikely. The likelihood that you will be executed for your faith in this country, let's say, for at least the next six months, is fairly unlikely. But that's not a birthright that we have as believers. That's a blessing that we've been given as Americans, but that's not a birthright that we carry as believers, that we never have to face anything beyond awkwardness. 
Listen, spiritual opposition is guaranteed. Now, here's the, here's the piece. We have to be ready for all of it and any of it. I think it's quite unlikely that you're going to face the dramatic end. But we would say, okay, this is what I would do in that. I, I wouldn't step down. I wouldn't step back in my faith. I, I would stand. You know, we, we, we kind of psych ourselves up for those things. But my challenge to you is I want you to be just as strong in the awkward and the unpopular and the unfair as you're ready to be in the dramatic. In the moment by moment, day to day, rough and tumble, bouncing around with people, I want you to be just as strong in the awkward, the unpopular, the unfair, and if the dramatic ever happens in our setting, that we're ready to do that as well. I knew that was going to be the long section. We're going to move quickly on the next two sections. I would also tell you that spiritual opposition can grow our faith. Spiritual opposition helps us grow our faith. It keeps us real. It keeps us rooted. It keeps us humble. And it keeps us sharp. I was pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Panama City uh, some time ago now. My predecessor, one of my predecessors was a man named Pastor Adolph Bedsell. Brother, Brother Adolph had been pastor of that church for 36 years. He was a godly, godly man. He lived across the street from the church. He'd come over and see me on Friday mornings and say, can I pray for you? I'm like, man, you better believe you can pray for me. Brother Adolph had written some books published by some major publishing houses, and so I read those books, and I wanted to see that. And he had one chapter in one of the books that was called Judas and Jezebel on the Trail of the Preacher. Man, I don't know what that chapter is about, but I'm reading that chapter. Judas and Jezebel are a couple of the darkest figures we find in all of Scripture. They are code for really bad people. And so I was a pastor, and I read this and say, you know, what happens when really, really bad people get on the trail of the preacher? Well, I'm interested in what he has to say, particularly since they may still be members of the church. I want to see if he names names. I want to know who we're talking about here. And I'm reading that chapter, and I'm waiting on him to let Judas and Jezebel have it. You know what he said? He said, you need to give thanks for the presence of Judas and Jezebel in your life and in your ministry because they will sharpen everything that you do for Jesus. You will pray more. You will think more. You will guard your integrity. And they will challenge you to make sure that you're living it in the place that you're supposed to be living it. Man, that's not what I want to hear. I'd rather Judas and Jezebel get the boot. But he says it's the presence of those hardships, it's the presence of that opposition that keeps you sharp. I got to tell you, I heard somebody say this this week, difficulty is not a deterrent, it's an invitation. Sometimes we get one of these rainstorms that makes everything difficult, getting in and out of the house is difficult. You, you, you got to drive through traffic. Sometimes the roads are flooded. It's all kinds of difficulty. But here's what probably didn't happen this week is that we got one of those rainstorms and it was just about time to do the carpool and pick up your kids at the elementary school. Here's what you didn't do. <laughs> you didn't leave them at school. You say, you know what? It's really hard to get out today. 
I, I really got other things to do. The traffic's going to be terrible. They can just spend the night. It'll be fine. Now, you may have thought about it, but you didn't really do it. Because even though some things are difficult, you do it. I would tell you that we are called to live as disciples, living our faith out loud. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean we just drop it on the side of the road and say it's not worth it. The challenge is that we live it out. Spiritual opposition also draws us together. Spiritual opposition draws us together. This is what Paul was getting at at the beginning. He says, what you have in common is that you are imitating the churches of Judea. They are you are experiencing the same thing that they are experiencing. And he says there's a part of this that we are knit together because we're all walking through these hardships and these difficulties. He says that you are experiencing the same thing that I experienced, which is the same thing that the church in Judea experienced, which is the same thing that Jesus experienced, which is the same thing that the prophets experienced. It is evidence that you're on the right path. That you experience spiritual opposition. And we don't want to run for it and say, hey, hit me. But it is a sign that you are in good company. And what it does is it draws Paul's affection. He talks about how much he loves them and how much he cares about them because he knows how vulnerable and how, 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 how fragile they are because it is tough out there. And so he keeps calling with his heart in his throat saying, are you guys okay? Are you making it? Is everything all right? Boy, there's a sense that when we gather together in church, that's what I want to ask you. How was it this week? Where did you get bumped? Where did you get bruised? Where did you get cut this week? Where was it? Was it awkward? Was it unfair? Was it unpopular? Was it dramatic? Where, where, where did your faith take some bruises in this week and I want you to know that, that I love you and I want to know are you okay out there are you making it out there because it's hard but at the same time that makes our gathering for worship even more meaningful because the bumps the bruises the awkwardness the unfairness the difficulty the disruptions, the hardships, the distress, the conflict that you are facing, the other people in this room are facing it as well. It's not identical. It's not exactly the same. But every person who is in Christ that's part of this room today is also struggling to figure out how to get through this world out of sync because they love Jesus and they are getting bounced around and bumped around as well. And so when you come into worship, when you leave worship, when we stand and we sing, I want you to glance around sometimes. And I want you to know that that's someone else that's on the same journey that you are. And I want you to love them because they're walking some of the same stuff that you are. And I want you to be encouraged by them because they are sticking to it in some hard things. And I want you to give grace to some of them because they are worn out and they are exhausted by some of the stuff that they are facing. And I want you to know that this is a place that we come to. And we care for each other. Because out there it can be tough sometimes. 
That's the reason why we make a commitment to make this a safe place in here because out there it can be hard. And so because we know to the person to your left, to the person to your right, the person in front of you, the person behind you, man, they've been bounced around this week. Maybe in their job, maybe in their school, maybe in their family, maybe among their friends. Man, they got bruises. So we come together and we're a family that we love and we care for each other because we share this journey and these experiences. Let me give you some quick applications this morning. First of all, stand firm. I know that there's a temptation that says, you know, if I reduce my commitment to Christ by 15%, man, my life would be so much easier. But that's not what you're called to do. You're called to pick up your cross your whole life. Continue to live out your faith 100%. You don't have to be obnoxious. But don't back down to who God has called you to be. And I would tell you, to live out your faith visible and present. Don't live with your head down, locked in a closet, keeping it to yourself. Paul says to the congregation in the passage we looked at last week, we gave to you the gospel and ourselves. I got to tell you that there's something about that phrase that has stuck with me for a couple of weeks now. We are to be people who present to this world the gospel and ourselves. So don't live with your head down trying to avoid the least amount of engagement as possible. The gospel and yourself. And then finally, be here. Be here. Not so that we can say that we had a record attendance or something like that, but because it is tough out there, be here. This is the safe place. This is the place to be restored. This is the place to be refreshed. This is the place to be equipped. This is the place to know that the other people are walking the same journey. In a boxing match, you go to the center of the ring and you throw some punches and you get some punches. But the bell rings. And it's, you go to that corner and it's a safe place to get nourished and refreshed so that you can get back out there and do another round of it. This is the place where the bell rings to give you rest and renewal and refreshment and healing for all the stuff that we face and that we live out there. Now we love the people that are out there, but because we are out of sync in Jesus, we bounce around sometimes. Come, be healed, refreshed, renewed, loved, cared for, encouraged, inspired in this place. Every week, ring the bell and sit down and be safe and loved and restored and heal. Let's pray.